Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Hardwood Knox. This is Adam Frommel here with my fantastic co-host, Dan Favalli. We've already covered the Western Conference when we looked at the top projected target, both in free agency and on the trade market for each team. Uh, now we're moving to the Eastern Conference. So we'll be running through all 15 teams alphabetically, beginning with the Atlanta Hawks and moving to the Washington Wizards. And again, just trying to identify what we expect them to pursue during the upcoming offseason. But as always, before we move into that, I have to ask you, Dan, how's it going today? I am exhausted, as you know, but I have no complaints overall based off what I do for a living. I cover a, a fucking game. So this is a this is a fun time of year. And I know it's not your favorite time of year when we're talking about hypotheticals, but I love free agency. I love trade rumors. Um, and the draft is fun. I preface everything I say about the draft when I go on radio shows and podcasts now, though, by like, I am not a draft expert. And they'll proceed to ask me these like super nuanced questions about the draft anyway. So, um, but it's an exciting time of year. and. Um, how about yourself? You still sound a little sick, but I hope I hope that you're overall. I feel better. I'm just I'm still a little congested here. You can hear the nasal nasaliness. Is that a word? It's going to be a word now. It's an it's a word now. Um, but I am going to rebut your point about this not being one of my favorite times of year. I actually do enjoy this part where we're like central in the draft discussion, which I do very much enjoy, and like actually looking at free agency because I think it moves away from too many unrealistic hypotheticals and focuses on more realistic hypotheticals, which is exactly what we're trying to do here. Rather than crafting like the the fake trades that really aren't going to happen, shout out to our episode on fake trades. This is more like we're, we're erring on the side of realism here and trying to focus on things that legitimately could happen. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And it's easier to talk about or more fun to talk about in my eyes, even though I'll come up with hypothetical trades or free agency scenarios all day. When there are like tangible reports, even if you don't believe them, sort of trying to debunk them, work your way back from there, that right. makes it exciting as well. But I'm ready to do this this Eastern Conference thing. There are uh, a lot of teams that are, I think, harder in the West. They're in the East. There's more of that true middle class, I guess, where the, where their direction is harder to discern. I found that it was harder to get specific with some of these Eastern Conference teams as I was prepping for this one, where it felt like with the West. I have no idea why this was the case, but it felt easier to pinpoint specific players. And in the East, I found myself leaning more towards generalities and just player archetypes or positions that needed to be filled. Perhaps it's because a lot of the Eastern Conference teams have more obvious glaring holes. Yeah, I mean, even the team we're starting with first is like they just, the Hawks just made the Eastern Conference Finals. And I think they're so good. They have so many good players, but it's like, what do they still feel one? ridiculously good player short of being anything like to get back to that level in the east next year I don't yeah, think and we, we've ahead. seen the rumors that like they might be interested in moving back the timeline a little bit with some of the the younger pieces and dealing cam reddish or deandre hunter for another premier pick in this upcoming draft or something along those lines and then there's the big looming john collins question is he going to get paid is he going to end up signing elsewhere? If he does sign elsewhere, is it an offer sheet that Atlanta is going to match? So there's still a lot of moving pieces with this Hawks team, even though it does feel like the core is at least somewhat solidified. So my pick for them was really just like any three and D wing. Like if you name a three and D wing, that's the kind of player Atlanta should be pursuing. And because it made the Eastern conference finals this past season, I think it opens the door to pursue 
more of a veteran three and D guy than someone with upside because you do have upside scattered throughout the roster. So the name that kept coming to mind for me was Danny Green. Now he, he is not the same that he was in his prime, but I do think it's eminently realistic that he could sign a veteran minimum contract or, you know, something a little bit more than that and join a team like the Hawks that could be one perfect fitting role player away from emerging from that Eastern conference finals contention into like true NBA finals contention. Yeah, and it's, you know, they're still like sort of flexible this offseason, even with factoring in that they're going to have to pay uh, John Collins. So they could, you know, ha- even just having by virtue um, of the the full mid-level exception, the bigger mid-level exception, it does put you in a position to sign someone like that. I also thought, do they need to focus more on trades just because their roster's in like this consolidation mode? Um, but I also, one of the things that I think they could do is, I know you said they suggested they're moving their timeline back. Does that include maybe of, I don't want to say perpetuating the status quo, but like a move I came up with for them that I actually really like is get Avery Bradley and Daniel House from the Houston Rockets for Chris Dunn and that OKC 2022 first rounder, which is lotto protected and turns into two seconds if it doesn't convey. That's a move that I think makes them deeper, more serviceable, maybe not noticeably better, and then still sort of allows them to plumb. I know there's been rumors they might want to trade Cam Reddish, but still seeing what they have in their wing rotation with Kevin Herter, with um, DeAndre Hunter, who's been injured with uh, Cam Reddish, who's been injured himself, but also just flashed that upside towards the end of their series with the Milwaukee Bucks. So I'm curious if they would go that route. I don't know that there's, they could make a nuclear trade, but even when you look at the best players out there on the trade market, you don't see Beal, Levine, Siakam. They all like the, the Hawks might have the assets to get them. I don't, I just don't think that they're necessarily what the Hawks would need. Uh, the name that's no, being, I don't either the name that's out there that I think might make sense for them if he's actually available, which I would argue he's not Shea Gilgis Alexander, even though he is extension level, if Oklahoma City really is willing to trade him. Uh, I love the fit next to Trey young there. Yeah, that'd be great. I just, I can't see OKC actually pulling the trigger on that kind of trade. I think for me, the, the Hawks ideal offseason looks like moving Chris Dunn and, and Danilo Gallinari for more help on the wings in a consolidation kind of trade. Uh, and probably trying to re-sign John Collins, even if it means that you're moving pretty far into the tax. But ultimately, this is one of those rosters where it proved how competitive it was with Trey Young at the helm, and there's still so much internal room for growth because there are just a bajillion young players. I mean, Anyaka Kongwu is is set back because he had shoulder surgery, I believe, uh, that he just underwent. Uh, that that hurts a little bit, but even still, like he'll be back. By the time the stretch run is happening, there are enough pieces, and we saw him flash his potential during the playoffs. There is a lot of incumbent talent that has yet to be plumbed on this roster. If you had to, last thing you wrap up, them, up on them, would you lean? Everyone wants the three and D wing, but they're so hard to find, especially in this market, and especially when you're working with the same spending tool as probably a majority of the rest of the league. Do you lean more defense or more offense for them on the wings right now? Definitely, definitely more defense, especially if John Collins is back where I I think that the Trey young alone guarantees you a high floor offense. And you just have to be able to lessen his defensive responsibilities to ensure that he can shoulder that burden for the entirety of the season and postseason. Yeah. And I think um, the flyer one, and this leans more defense, I think given how he's played, but Josh Richardson might be another name if he declines his player option or if Dallas is looking to, to trade him like that would be interesting. And I know the last one I'll mention is people have mentioned Spencer Dinwiddie. I don't hate his fit next to Trey, but I agree with you that I think you need to lean more defense and Dinwiddie doesn't, you know, he kind of crimps your spacing and 
he's like fine on defense, but it's not, you know, the minutes with him and Trey would be fine. So I'm in agreement with your assessment there. I believe we're on to the Boston Celtics. They're weird because they made the cost cutting move with the Kemba Walker trade to give them some wiggle room under like the tax, but not enough to where they would stay out of it. As of right now, just based off like the, the salary sheets that I'm using, if they re-sign Evan Fournier, they're probably going into the tax as of now. Uh, they have barely over $10 million in tax from entering the offseason. I think you need Evan Fournier back because you've now traded one of your shot creators, even though he was injured, for another big in Horford. And Jalen Brown is recovering from his injury. Maybe he's ready to start the season. Maybe he's not just because of that quick turnaround. You need the secondary shot creation more than ever. That's also what you kind of need to suss out, though, on the the market. And you, do, I don't know. It, it's so hard to project them is what I'm getting at because will they? Yes, they have the ability to work with the non-taxpayers mid-level exception if they're actually willing to pay the tax and stay below the apron. I don't know if they're willing to do that. Uh, their trade target could be, can you dump Tristan Thompson into cap space and then give yourself flexibility to go on the the mid-level market that way? Are you going to use your mini mid-level? Are you even willing to use your mini mid-level? Are you trying to duck the tax altogether? They're in such a bizarre spot. Um, I would argue that they just need, if they can get, they're, they're not going to be in like the Conley, Lowry, Lonzo Ball, even Dinwiddie tier. Uh, if you can get like a, see what happens with a, another like kind of attacking guard, what happens with Goran Dragic's team option in Miami, uh, maybe even Cameron Payne as an affordable option, him coming out of, Phoenix. Reggie Jackson would be interesting. I just really don't think he leaves the Clippers. That's really my focus for them. They could use secondary wings. So if you know you can get a Bullock, if you can get a Danny Green would be nice there. If you can get a Josh Richardson, those names are going to continue to come up and up. But you have Tatum and Brown already. And if you're going to re-sign Fournier and you have just so many bigs, I think you need to focus on solidifying sort of your your backup playmaking role or just getting someone else in that regard and i don't even know like do they even have the asset juice to trade for someone of that caliber i would argue no we've pitched the marcus smart deal divesting him into like a a pick monte morris and and pj dozier i don't know that they'll go that route just because marcus smart is such a cultural touchstone for them and beyond that like the secondary playmaker trade market it's just it's so undefined right now when you're going through it i don't know what would be realistic for them in large part because are they willing to take on money eric gordon would make a lot of sense in boston my guess would be that they just don't want to foot the bill for him and you run out of salary filler really quickly after tristan thompson so confusing but i think um i'd like to see them add just to their secondary ring rotation but more so than anything they need to focus on getting a to me another creator in there it's like you were just trying to perfectly segue into what i had teed up for the boston celtics because i'm kind of operating under the assumption that they're going to bring Fournier back and any other tangible upgrades are going to happen through trades around the fringes. I would love to see them focus on bringing in a capable, bigger ball handler. So I'm going to throw two names at you that I came up with as like lower level trade targets that I think make a lot of sense for this team. Haven't put together exact trade packages here since so much is in flux, especially with the draft so close to actually happening. But the first is DeLon Wright, who I think would just be an absolutely ideal fit here. I like that. And it sort of works with, I don't know if Sacramento would do this after they kind of just acquired DeLon Wright uh, at the deadline, leading up to the deadline last year anyway. But if they lose Rashawn Holmes in free agency, just having Tristan Thompson as a stopgap stop gap big, those salaries align almost perfectly. That was my thought exactly. And then my, my second name is Tomas Sadoransky. 
yeah, I would wonder if, and yeah, I think, look, if you're going to use him as like a, your third point guard behind smart and let's say Tatum, if we're going to assume that he carries the offense, that's, you know, kind of had just a uh, nondescript season in Chicago, but I wouldn't hate that one either. Uh, I'd be curious to see what is the money you're giving up there. That's what makes Boston tough is you're using Tristan Thompson, basically. And Chicago definitely doesn't have a use for, for Thompson, unless they're not going to resign Daniel Tice, who the Celtics traded away for nothing to let's not, let's not talk about that though. That the Celtics uh, just a lot of moving pieces. But I think with both of those guys, you get that secondary or tertiary ball handling ability. They can run bench lineups and they're big enough to be switchable on wing defense and kind of alleviate some of the pressure that Brown and Tatum have on them because those guys have to do so much for this Boston team, the way that it's currently constructed. Can I throw a trade target at you for them? I'm curious to see what your reaction is. Let's do it. Colin Sexton. That's such a tear up. I mean, yeah, like an ideal fit. He would really elevate this team with a, a pure attacking guard mentality but you're now giving up a lot to get him. I imagine that smart has to be involved in that trade. I was probably more so thinking that you're looking at one or two of the young players. Like if they wanted Langford and, and Neesmith take them. Uh, but then you're probably giving up like two first round picks down the line type deal where if it, if it's two first and a Langford or a Neesmith, I'm just curious to know, is that not enough to get Sexton when he has to be paid? And I think that's what drags down his value where we just talked about Shea Gilgis Alexander briefly, who would, by the way, be amazing on Boston and 28 other teams in the NBA outside of Oklahoma City. But they definitely don't have the juice to get him because he is the guy that you max out and you just do it without thinking. Sexton, I think he's really good. He's not that from scratch shot creator. Even if he gets going downhill, sure. But his pull-up jumper has never been too efficient. The fact that he can score so well as a spot-up shooter or dribbling into like those slow uh, set threes that's great but it just lacks that star quality and so i do think that his and i hate looking at players in these terms we on this podcast want every player to get paid and we both think colin sexton is has improved a great deal i would just be wondering if you gave them two firsts that you could protect them what two firsts and one of the you know like langford does do does cleveland think about it maybe they don't and that's if i'm that far off you can feel free to to yell at me uh, but that would be I'm just curious as to see what, if Sexton gets moved, what he'd end up going for. I think I just question it more from Boston's side. We don't yet have a feel for how Brad Stevens is going to run the front office there, but it does feel like an awful lot to part with for a guy where you're not sure that he's going to fit and elevate this core high enough to be a true title contender, and then you're going to have to pay him. And with the extensions that Tatum and Brown have already signed, that's a lot of money to commit to a core that you're not sure about as your first move as a general manager. That's a good point. And if we're talking about Boston being cost conscious, you know, and it works within the season because Sexton is so cheap, but having smart and Sexton enter free agency at the same time, when you maxed out or near maxed out Jalen Brown and then maxed out Jason Tatum and have another year of Al Horford where it's, Hey, we'll pay you, you know, basically half your salary to, to go away. Um, 14.5 million to go away, or we're going to give you all 26.5 million dollars on it. That would be a very expensive season for them. Hey, Hardwood Knox listeners, it's Dan again. This time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our parent distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take their podcast to the next level, or 
if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, that has included me, so apologies in advance, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. On top of all that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all the other listening platforms. The best part is, you get all of this for only $15 a month. That's the same rate any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to Hardwood Knox's sub-mediocre basketball takes, then make your voice heard in Hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com join. Speaking of expensive seasons, though, Brooklyn <laughs> Nets. <laughs> I mean, this one feels easy because ultimately this roster is so ridiculously expensive already that you're just looking for veterans who are going to sign cheap and fill in the cracks. And all I want out of this NBA offseason, now that we've gone through this exercise, is to watch Nicholas Claxton and Nerlens Noel share the floor. That's all I want. Wait, what? Run that by me one more time. Run it back, please. I just I want to see Nicholas Claxton and Nerlens Noel on the floor at the same time, wreaking defensive havoc, while Kevin Durant, James Harden, and Kyrie Irving do all of the scoring. The switchability, the impact on passing lanes, the rim protection, that would be so fun. I don't know whether to be disgusted or tantalized because it's so off the wall to do that. You're welcome. Uh, I, I think they could. My, my guess would be I, they're in this position where they have the, not, the mini mid-level. Uh, does that get you both Blake Griffin and Jeff Green back, do you think? Or would you guess that one of them is gone? I think Jeff Green's gone. I yeah, think he's he's, he's played well enough that I, I think someone's going to throw him more money. Like he was a legitimately impactful player, both with the big three available, however short that duration was, and in some of their stead. Yeah, they do have Bruce Brown that they, they'll have the ability to resign. Uh, I think one of Green or Griffin will be back. I actually thought it was more likely to be Green, to be honest with you, but he might be in higher demand than Griffin at this point. Who knows? Uh, and both of those guys, Brown and Green, were just so smart, so smart and important to the way that they were just running their center rotation. Um, I'm wondering if they can get someone else. Then, if you're gonna, if you think you're gonna lose Jeff Green and or Bruce Brown, is there like a cheap? He's not a big, but a bigger wing who will give you some super small minutes at the five. And immediately, I'm drawn to if Otto Porter needs to be needs to rebuild, rehabilitate his value. I apologize, I can't speak tonight. Or Nicholas Batum. And I don't know why necessarily he'd want to leave the Clippers uh, after the season he had, but I do think the Nets can promise him like a semi-prominent role um, compared to the Clippers, not a more prominent one. But like if Nicholas Batum went to Utah, like a lot of people, including us, talked about, he's not guaranteed any sort of minute minutes there. There's a a, a reality or a, a world in which he could be a part right. of Brooklyn's closing lineup. I, I, the two things that I'm wondering about this team, they're more interesting from a trade perspective for me because they have DeAndre Jordan, who's apparently available. Uh, I guess KD and Kyrie getting him that four-year mid-level deal was enough. They can trade him now. He apparently is available, so I don't think he's an asset to anyone, but his salary at $10 million a year about, that helps move some, uh, that can help acquire back some money. And then also, I think Spencer did what he ends up getting signed and traded was one of my predictions for the offseason. I don't know where you land on that, but those are mechanisms they could use to get back a player that a team this expensive really otherwise wouldn't have 
access to. I agree with you. I, I would be shocked if Dinwiddie is back just because as talented as he is, they don't have as much use for him as another team is going to. I have no idea what they'll be able to turn him into. And I think that's kind of the theme of this whole Brooklyn offseason, which is we have limited resources. We have three superstars who are all capable of carrying an offense. Let's get the best player we can, like just adopt the true best player available mentality. You don't really need to fill a certain archetype because you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and James Harden. Yeah, that's that's like that's really why I initially went to Nerlens Noel because ultimately, like you do need more defense. I think that has been demonstrated pretty convincingly, and he's probably the most impactful, low money potential defensive acquisition on the market. And I do think that he works with Claxton. I do think he works as the lone big with some of these smaller lineups. He's not going to play a lot of minutes, which is probably beneficial because you do want to be running a lot of smaller lineups out with this roster construction. He makes sense on basically every level for me, even if it is a little bit off the wall. The two sign and trade ideas I had for Dinwiddie, I think this one's pretty standard, is if you sent him to LA for the Lakers for number 22 and Kuzma, I think, you know, the Nets don't need first round picks, but then all of a sudden you have two first round prospects. What can you turn those into? And I think Kuzma just, he's turned into uh, more of a defensive than an offensive player. That's what I was going to say, more valuable defensive than an offensive player. And there's a chance that that? there's a chance that with the space that all of Brooklyn shot creators could generate, that we see his catch and shoot threes go through the roof and that it's okay. I actually think one of the complaints from the Lakers end of the spectrum is that he has never been that secondary creator that he was as a rookie where his, he was like one of the top five most efficient isolation players in the league that year in Brooklyn, you almost want that. And so that would be a good fit. The other one is a little bit more off the walls, but let's say Dallas wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want to keep Tim Hardaway jr. But still make a significant free agency acquisition. They, they don't get Conley. They don't get Lowry. A sign and trade of Dinwiddie to Dallas for if Josh Richardson opts in and Maxi Kleba was something that I thought about. It would be a fun fit there for sure. I like that. I but I like Kleba and Josh Richardson. Meanwhile, in Brooklyn, I wonder if Dallas would be like, no way on Kleba because that's how important he's become to the way that they play. That also would not surprise me. I think Cuban in particular really seems to like him. <laughs> I feel like that's our cue to move on to Charlotte at that point. That actually, there was actually no subtext intended there. Okay. Um, but let's move I on promise. Start- I promise. Like legitimately, I and I know this from a few years back because Cuban did actually retweet a few NBA math things that were highlighting how good Kleba was in a small role as a rookie. Let's move on to Charlotte anyway, though. They they could be working with a ton of cap space this summer if they want. Uh, they have a fairly easy access to more than twenty million dollars in room if they're willing to renounce. Uh, Malik Monk, pretty much all their own free agents except for Devontae Graham because his cap hold is so small. Um, and that's also with them guaranteeing contracts for Cody and Kayla Martin. And then, of course, Jalen McDaniels, who remains intriguing. I think everyone expects them to spend on a big. I know people have mentioned Jared Allen. I don't think he's leaving Cleveland. Maybe if the Cavs draft Evan Mobley, that changes. I love Rashawn Holmes in Charlotte, too. I think that's yeah, sort stop of. Stop stealing the, the names I have written down. Well, I think that's sort of the low hanging fruit. So I won't spend a ton of time ton of time on that but i thought one what i thought about i don't know why he would go there unless they're going to overpay him and just looking at their ages a pj tucker or paul Millsap would be good to spend some five minutes with the way that charlotte played uh jamichael green i would like there too i think you could maybe also go the route of if you're looking for 
like really high energy and you're still playing up the youthful upside and you don't want to spend a ton. Maybe you've also drafted a big Jared Vanderbilt in Charlotte would be incredibly fun. And I think, I don't want to say people are misidentifying Charlotte's need. They definitely do need a big, but they also need wings like these two way wings. They have Gordon Hayward, but that's really it. Miles Bridges. Yeah. He's really malleable, portable on defense, but he's not a wing. You have Gordon Hayward. What's that? They have Leangelo ball now. What more do you need? That's right. Uh, I retract everything I just said. So I'm just curious just to see, like, do they spend maybe a little bit less on a big, like enter the Daniel Tice mold, or maybe they look at Nerlens Noel, who can still run the floor fairly well. Or like I mentioned, one of the veteran names who might, they're like smaller, more contemporary fives, if you want to call them that. And then could they be a team that like try to sneaks into the Josh Hart discussion or just something along those lines? I wouldn't mind if they went that route. I just question whether, and I'll throw it to you there on that one. If you're Charlotte, are you looking to spend a bulk of your, let's say a lion's share of your cap space on deepening or let's say diversifying the wing rotation? Or are you really zeroing in on that big? I'm still zeroing in on the big. I think Hart does make a lot of sense. I can see them moving LaMelo Ball to let Grant Riller run the show. Like that's definitely on the table. But ultimately, the focus does have to be on the bigs. You're going to make LaMelo's life a lot easier by having someone who can do more than the incumbent centers on the roster. You need someone who can set screens and actually finish plays or create a little bit of offense for himself and protect the rim a little bit more efficiently so that ball can not have to worry as much about allowing penetration. Um, It is low-hanging fruit, but I want to see them throw all of the money that they can at Jared Allen. The fit there just makes way too much sense. Just that uber-athletic, uber-energetic, defense-focused role man. It feels like he is a very ideal running mate for LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges in particular. Um, Beyond that, I would love to see them lean more into that youthful rebuilding mentality and make a play for Marvin Bagley now that he's available from the Sacramento Kings. That feels like a really good buy low opportunity where if you can get him to stay healthy on a team that does have a lot of pieces around him who are growing in conjunction with him, that could, that could be a a move that pays off really nicely. Do you, I guess I agree, but you like Allen here better than Holmes. I'm assuming probably because of the defense. I do. Yeah, I think I think that has to be the focus because you have the shot creation from so many other sources. I mean, you know that the Bridges is going to score in transition and as a cutter in the half court. You know that Hayward can create from scratch. Rozier and Ball are both attackers. You don't really – I think Holmes' skill set still works, but it isn't as complementary as Jared Allen's here. I think there's, I think that's a reasonable case. I would probably still prefer Holmes if they're going to spend the the big money, but Allen is younger way. He's, he's, he's better defensively around the rim. He's probably a little bit more switchable there as well. Even though I think Holmes is not necessarily underrated defensively, but can do more than people credit him. I still think I'd probably look at the wings first before the big, because I'm always of the mind that you can approximate 70% of what most of the best bigs available can do on a cheaper budget. My one question on them about sort of looking at their incumbent free agents, who do you think is more likely to be back, Devontae Graham or Malik Monk? I already mentioned that they have to renounce Monk to maximize their cap space. They also could just re-sign him, lower his cap hold or whatever, and he was the one that had the better offensive season this year. Yeah, I, I think Monk is more likely. Um, to come back early. To come back, yeah. Oh. Just because he is going to score more efficiently. 
than Devonte Graham, where Graham does a lot of good things. He can make deep threes. He can set up his teammates, but he's not a reliable shooter. And Monk is Monk seems like a more likely candidate to lead a more efficient second unit. And I say that despite loving Graham's game. I guess I just so expect them to want and to actually use their cap space. I think they wind up keeping Graham. And then they also need just looking at having Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball. I think they prefer someone who has a better chance at being the third guard who can lead units without both or only one of them, a Rozier on the court. I still think after the season he had, I still think that's Devontae Graham. But that's I see be- arguments either way. I'm so curious to see what they do, by the way, as a final thought. Like they do, do they is there a chance that they don't spend big on anyone? Yes. I, I think that there absolutely is. This team could go in a bajillion different directions and it's fun regardless. I would still kudos argue- to the Hornets for escaping that mid-level, low-level mediocrity that they've been entrenched in for so long. I will say though, the a Michael Jordan governed team with cap space is still among the most terrifying things for, for me to think about. What if about. they bring back Kwame Brown? All right. I feel like now it's time to move on to Chicago. (laughs) Chicago's another funky one because I think I often forget that this team kind of moved into we want to be competitive right now mode with the Nikola with the Nikola Vucevic trade. Like they have him and Zach Levine with Patrick Williams ready to explode. They've got to figure out what to do with Daniel Tice and Laurie Markkinen. But there's already like a decent amount of incumbent talent here. And I think that this is a sneaky landing spot for Kyle Lowry. Holy shit. Ex- please expound. Well, it's I don't think they've been discussed whatsoever as a landing spot, but there's they a were. compelling pitch there. If that's any consolation. Matt Moore of okay. Action Network reported that they would be in the mix. Even better. But uh, it is a, a, a remarkably compelling landing spot because – If you assume that Williams, who was one of the youngest players in the NBA this past season, makes a substantial leap forward, you have a scoring title threat in Zach Levine. You have a big who can create his own offense at the drop of the the hat in Vucevic. You have a a defensive-oriented Kawhi Leonard approximation, poor man's Kawhi Leonard approximation in Williams. You have depth at a lot of different positions and then you add Lowry into the mix. And that could be a piece that immediately elevates Chicago into the mix. He makes a ton of sense with Zach Levine, a guy who can shoulder more of the defensive responsibilities against the opponent's best backcourt member, who's willing to defer offensive touches, as we've seen with him playing next to Kawhi Leonard, with him playing next to an emerging Fred Van Vliet. I love that fit in the backcourt and Given Chicago's penchant for making these all-in moves, as we saw with Vucevic, they could be a serious contender to make that kind of splashy addition. I don't know what their pathway is to getting Lowry, though. So the two things I'll mention there, they can get to, uh, if they renounce everyone, they'll have about $12.4 million in cap space, but that's with keeping Thaddeus Young and Thomas Sadoransky. Those guys have $11 million in combined guaranteed salary, so you could technically waive them, stretch that, and then I guess you would have close to enough room, if not enough room, to get Lowry. Or move Sadoransky into someone else's cap space because he's a very realistic rotation member. That's what I would say you could do the same with Thaddeus Young, too, because I was going to ask you, it feels like the most realistic bet would be to get Kyle Lowry by sign and trade at that point, just given their limitations. Yep. And I just I don't know what they give up because they traded this year's first-round pick. 
and they traded 2023's first round pick. So I like I like the idea of Lowry in Chicago. You that case you made, I really hadn't Lowry and Levine just makes too much sense almost. It's it would it would be great. But yeah, the the, the pathway is tricky. The um the other thing with them, which was tough figuring out targets, I don't know what they do with Zach Levine. So he is not going to sign an outright extension with Chicago. 120% raise off of his current number for the following year, 2022, 2023, still brings him like 11 million or whatever short of his projected max. What they can do is renegotiate and extend him, which for our listeners who don't know that, what that effectively boils down to is they give him an immediate raise up to his current max salary, which I think would land at like 33.7, 33.8, whatever it is. You have to use, and then you can extend him off that number, but you have to use cap space to do it. They don't even have enough cap space without waiving or finding takers for Sadoransky and Thaddeus Young to bring him up to that max number. Now he could be willing to take a little bit less because once he gets a raise, he'll be at the max um, next year. And if he wasn't going to make the max this upcoming season anyway, yeah, he might be open to that, but then you spent your resources on retaining talent who wasn't even technically leaving because he's on the books for a year. And you've sort of hindered your exceptions too, because now all of a sudden you're working with the room exception, which is like half of the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. My question to you before I, I do have a couple targets for them, is if you're the Bulls, are you renegotiating, renegotiating and extending Zach Levine, or are you letting this ride out until free agency and banking on the fact more so we'll try and make moves this summer, show him we're ready to win, and he'll want to stay? You also risk losing him for nothing in that scenario. I'm letting it ride right now. You know, for all the limitations that you mentioned, and I don't know what the pathway to improvement is without the win now moves first. Because ultimately, if you look up and down this roster, who besides Patrick Williams is going to become a star? Yeah, you would have to like Kobe White. And sure, like you could convince me of that. You could convince me that they could re-sign Markinen and turn him into a star, but these are less likely scenarios. So I think that the best play is to convince him by winning now. I'm like with you, but the idea of letting him reach free agency, unless he's told you he's coming back no matter what, would be terrifying. Uh, I do agree with you that it seems like they're if and look if they don't make any additions, like that would clue me into like Zach Levine didn't know didn't commit to anything and so we're gonna hear zach levine trade rumors but aside from lowry i do i know people like lonzo ball here his fits fine i would prefer spencer dinwiddie here just as another creator uh if you could get him i also think that they need to focus on the wing rotation they only need complementary wings at this point because you do have zach levine to create yeah you prefer a playmaking one but you have vooch you could run the offense through so maybe you can kind of zero in on, I don't want to recycle the same names here over and over again, but like a Josh Richardson, um, Reggie Bullock, if you can get him, uh, you know, they could, I don't, I don't know that they'll be in like the running for the super veterans. I was, I was curious to see how you would feel about this one. If they decide to work with cap space, let's say they just create more. Do you like the idea of like a Duncan Robinson in Chicago? Or does that lean too far into just offense? I think it leans too far into the offensive specialties. You already have two guys who can score 25 points a night. Yeah. uh, I thought about, I thought about Gary Trent Jr. Momentarily, but I think they probably want someone a little bit bigger. I just don't view Danny green as super realistic for them. They would be an interesting Josh Hart team. Again, if they had cap space, I, they were really tough for me and I might, 
you know, I think they pro- my guess would be if they have their druthers, they'll funnel most of their money towards the point guard situation. In which case, I would almost expect them to wind up with one of Lonzo Ball, Dinwiddie, or Schroeder. I don't know if all of those guys amount to the right move, but that would almost be my expectation. And then maybe they're looking to fill out the wings on a budget-ish type thing where it's, oh, you know, Terrence Davis is a restricted free agent. What could he do for us? We've talked about Garrison Matthews' value on this podcast. Would they give Sterling Brown some, some rotation minutes here? Alec Burks, not really a wing, but someone I guess that they could look at. So a Tory Craig, I'm wondering, I feel like that's the route. This could also be just based off their defensive needs on the wings. And I know they have Patrick Williams. This might become, should they as expected decline his team option, like the justice Winslow experiment team, like that might be the interesting. I totally see that. that. And I, I, I think the Tory Craig route is probably the most realistic of all these scenarios where they're, they're going to make a move for that defense first wing and, and try to prioritize re-signing some of their pieces like Tice or Markkinen. But still, I, I'm sure that you, like me now, just can't get that Lowry idea out of your head. No, I can't. I wasn't asked, what do you think about TJ McConnell for this team? It would also be a fun one. You know, I think anything that's going to help that wing defense. They're, they were the, um, the toughest ones to like pinpoint specific players for for some reason. I think because there's so much variance in their outcomes. And they could theoretically, I don't have a name here, but just based off the fact that you do have Patrick Williams, you do have Kobe White. You do still have salary filler. If they want to try and make like a big, like really double, triple down on this roster, I guess they could go that route. I'm too much of a fan of Patrick Williams. Just by far and away seemed like a much better defender than most rookies, but had more positional range than I ever would have expected him to. So I wouldn't do that. But I'm, anything's on the table after that Vooch trade to me. That was something I would be that, shocked if Patrick that, Williams is moved. I don't think they should, but I'm saying if they're really that committed to Levine as the Vooch trade sort of intimated, Nothing would surprise me at this point. Yeah, I can see that. But let's move on to the Cavaliers here, which feels like another one of those many Eastern Conference teams where like, who the hell knows? Because apparently Colin Sexton is available. And if he's gone, what does this team have? Jared Allen is a restricted free agent. Darius Garland showed a lot of improvement this past season, but what is he going to be? Like, we, we still don't really know when he's going to be eligible for a raise before too long. Kevin Love is still on the roster. Isaac Okoro remains disappointing. Jetty Osmond remains disappointing. So it's hard to, like, really figure it out. I, I kind of leaned into the idea of finding as much relatively cheap upside as possible. So I kept landing on Josh Hart, both because he feels like a good fit for the roster and because it is well-established that he's very good friends with Larry Dance Jr. So maybe they'll want to play together. And that's about as much reasoning as I have here. I'd be curious to see what the sign and trade would look like for that, just because they're not going to have the cap space to go after him unless they renounce Jared Allen, which even if they Is draft, possible, I get, if they draft Evan Mobley, do you, I don't, it would, to me, it would, I won't, I guess I won't say a disaster, but it would be less than ideal if they let Jared Allen walk for nothing. So my guess would be if you draft Evan Mobley, you're fine having both, which I'm actually okay with because as the Cavs right now, they have a lot of players that intrigue me, but none of them are your tentpole star. You can't right. say that about Sexton. There's, I think, just looking at what Garland does as a playmaker and then even as a pull-up shooter, he might be your better bet to do that, but he's not guaranteed to be that. Just how is the talent and figure it out later. And if you need to move Mobley or Allen down the line, you can. But I guess if you draft Evan Mobley in theory, that would open up Jared Allen sign and trade scenarios, which doesn't help you with Josh Hart, but that's just something to think about. I expect Jared Allen to be back. Unless I don't know the team that's going to come in and just offer Jared Allen so much money that the Cavs are like, bye. 
Charlotte should. Uh, but if they come in at like eighteen million a year, I don't know that that's enough to get Cleveland to to flinch. It probably to I would come in at twenty if I'm if I'm oh, Charlotte. Wow, um, they so I have them projected right now as a non-taxpayers mid-level team, and they're interesting because I think that you probably just need to still play the youth card here. I don't know. There are a lot of wings that could fit, and that seems like what they need. But can you just sort of rehabilitate some values, some get some? like second draft type guys like this could be a good Frank Nielakina destination. I know people who listen to the podcast are going to troll me for that. No, I think that's legitimate though. Cause that is the kind of player that Cleveland should be looking at right now. You want to find those relatively young guys where you can either rehabilitate their value to the point that you get something back for them in a trade or they're a legitimate rotation member when you're ready to compete. I think that's exactly the kind of player they should target. I don't know if the mid-level exception is really enough to get them involved with this type of player. Uh, but Talon Horton Tucker, the youngest free agent of the bunch, is someone that they could really look at. I would actually love Gary Trent Jr. for this team. They just don't have the money. But like those types of go after just the younger guys here. And they, I mean, there like aren't a ton of like super intriguing ones, especially when you're looking at what the Cavaliers have to spend. Terrence Davis, a uh, very questionable human being, and that's probably putting it kindly, but that's someone that they could really look at. And I think would help their team. We've mentioned Garrison Matthews already justice Winslow. This might be a good justice Winslow destination too. He's still, I forget that Winslow's only 25. I feel like he's 80 for some reason. That's still, that's the route I'm looking at. If I'm this team, I could also just see them like, yeah, I, I guess maybe I won't say that, but if they want to kind of keep themselves more flexible, do they not, you know, do they not make any, do they sort of sit free agency out aside from resigning Jared Allen is my point. It'd be another good spot for Marvin Bagley. Um, if they want to get in on whatever sweepstakes exist for Jarrett Culver, again, like we're we're kind of focusing on any of those younger guys who have established potential that has not been realized. Here, that is interesting. Would you do if you're the Cavs? What would you need in addition to Jared Culver to give the Timberwolves Larry Nance Jr.? Mm. Like, does Josh Akogi and Jared Culver do it? I think so. Just because of the time, just for the timeline alone. Yeah, I might argue probably not just because of Kobe's entering the last year of his deal and he's just such an offensive minus. Um, but like Nas Reed, I don't, they don't, I don't know that they need another big on this team, even though Nat Larry Nance Jr. would be sent out. But if you draft Mobley, you definitely don't need a, a Nas Reed. Maybe is it a protected first that like is lottery protected for two seasons before turning into two seconds or something? Like, because if you're Minnesota, I don't know that you could justify trading a flat out first. But let's say, Let's say the deal is a lottery protected first. And um uh oh my god. What was the and Jared Culver? And maybe you don't even need that. You're right. Jared Culver, like if the high upside swing's still there, two years left on his rookie scale deal, like maybe that maybe that does it. So Jared Culver. But I could see Minnesota giving up more just because Nance is such an ideal fit for that roster, too. So like you you very you could be onto something with like that top 20 protected that's gonna turn into two firsts. Would you do Jaden McDaniels? And Jared Culver for Larry Nance. I would try to to, to part with a Kogi first. I I don't know that I McDaniel's my I might be too high on McDaniel's. I think is what I'm finding through this podcast. Fair enough. Anything else on Cleveland? Is there? Yo, there's. I think Larry Nance Jr. can help a lot of good teams. I think he is probably. I know people are going to say Kevin Love, but I, I think Larry Nance Jr. is the, the player on this team that's most likely to be traded, unless it's Colin Sexton. But you so rarely see these dudes on rookie scale deals get dealt because he's making 6.3 million next year. 
you can't net back a ton. Yeah, you could use it as a means to grease off, uh, like to grease the wheels of a Kevin Love dump, but you don't want to use Colin Sexton to do that. And so I still don't even know why they're even thinking about trading him. I I guess because they don't know if they want to pay him between 20 and $25 million a year. But to me, that's like, figure don't you can trade him so easily at the deadline. That's what I was going to say. Why not go and see what you have first? Yeah, don't extend him then and then trade him at the deadline if you want to. So, but I'm not using him to grease the wheels of a Kevin Love salary dump. I'm definitely Definitely not. not. Definitely. Would, would you agree that Nance is the player most likely to be traded? Yes, or do you think I would. I don't, I don't think Love has any value left. So they're probably not going to want to give up, give up assets to move him, which is probably necessary. That brings us to, I'm not really interested in what they're going to do in free agency, to be honest with you, but the Pistons, they have... Yeah, let's speed through this one because I literally wrote down literally anyone. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the roster, like you have Killian Hayes, who was disappointing for, you know, justifiable reasons because he dealt with injuries so soon into a very raw rookie season. You have Sadiq Bay, who is as plug and play as it's going to get for a rising sophomore. You have Jeremy Grant, who's already 27 and might not fit with the timeline. Sekou Dumboya, you still don't really know what you have. Isaiah Stewart, like, is he ever going to be a 30-minute-per-game player? And then Cade Cunningham, inevitably, with the number one pick in the draft. You can justify signing anyone. Yeah, and there's just not – they could have cap space if they want to. Not, I mean, they, they could obviously create more, but I have them at like over $11 million, which is so close to the non-taxpayers mid-level. You sort of wonder like do they just you know operate as an over-the-cap team and maybe carry Dennis Smith Jr.'s cap hold? I wouldn't rule out bringing him back, by the way, just sort of to take another stab at that. They could use more. Every team could use more of this, but I think you have Sadiq Bay. That's like your two-way wing. So you could use, oh, and Jeremy Grant. But like you could use sort of a another one, or maybe you just focus on rehabilitating these. I'm more interested than them on the trade market is what I'm getting at. I think Mason Plumlee gets moved because this team is like not bad enough. And we saw that this season. They were in a lot of close games before shutting down Jeremy Grant or Jeremy Grant's injury, however you want to frame that. You have Isaiah Stewart. Trading Mason Plumlee unlocks him. I think you get a first round pick for Mason Plumlee. Like if the Suns number 29, no, I'm skeptical of that. I'm skeptical at this point of his career. I don't know. He was so good offensively for them last year. Career high. Triple double machine. What's that? Triple double machine. Mason Plumlee. Um, But he did shoot a career high at the rim and was fantastic passing for them. So I think they probably move him, but like, can you look at these just like, I don't want distressed assets, like younger guys who maybe don't have a ton of value that teams are willing to move. Um, could Aaron Holiday be interesting for them, depending on the asking price for the Pacers? What if the Knicks are just looking to get rid of Kevin Knox? What is the what is the opportunity cost there? Dante DiVincenzo would be interesting. I think the Bucks would probably be looking for like actual value from him. So that's like the along the lines of really what I'm thinking for for that team. Like, could they pillage just like one of Orlando's many youngster uh, question marks? Like, would Detroit be? You know, they already have Isaiah Stewart, but if you're moving Mason Plumley and like uh, Orlando wants to move on from Mo Bamba, like is a Mo Bamba an interesting flyer for them? I'd probably, I guess, I'd argue probably not. But like, what if what if Phoenix is willing to give you Jalen Smith for Mason Plumley, just the number ten pick in last year's draft? Um, could you be the team that says, hey, we're going to sign Zach Collins? Uh, we don't anticipate him playing next year, but a floor spacing big who has shown that he could switch on defense, and it's very much theoretical that he's floor spacing. I know that. I feel like those are the types of moves we can expect them to make. And maybe like, you know, do they look at uh, 
I don't even think they're going to look at a talent Horton Tucker just because they might be set where he plays and they, they still need shooting on this team. Bringing someone back like a Wayne Ellington feels like it could be fairly important for them. You know, what's fun is that I basically mentioned all these guys already because I said literally anyone. I'm sorry for stepping on the toes of, of everything <laughs> you just said for, for Detroit. I'll forgive I, look, you this one time. If they wanted to create cap space, they could. I just don't see the young enough three, free agent that's worth throwing money at, sort of like the Jeremy right. Grant experiment this year. I think the closest you get is probably Gary Trent Jr. if you wanted to do that. And I wouldn't. I just don't think. I think they're too good as is right now. And I think they need another year of being bad. Let's move on to the Pacers, though, just because I think a lot of the talk about Detroit is going to focus on Cunningham for a while anyway. Yeah, and with the Pacers, my guess is that the biggest move they make is trying to figure out how to keep McConnell and McDermott while while ducking the tax, which is virtually impossible at the moment. My, My guess, best guess would be, can you trade Jeremy Lamb into someone's cap space? And there are just any team with cap space could essentially use Jeremy Lamb. The Knicks could definitely use a Jeremy Lamb. And then that should allow you to keep McDermott and McConnell while staying under the tax. Or do you sort of pick and choose between the two? I'd probably argue, I don't know who's more. I think McConnell's probably more important to them based off the lack of development from Aaron Holiday. And I think a lot of people have them pegged as a Kispert team in the draft. So can you get the second coming of Doug McDermott to replace Doug McDermott? Perhaps. I feel like their moves are going to be very much about maintaining the state of this roster to see what it looks yep. like at full strength. On the flip side, though, I did see on the low post it was mentioned that there's just been stuff in the ether about Lonzo Ball for Malcolm Brogdon in a signing. Just, I can't see that. Actually. I don't I mean, understand. Brogdon makes too much sense for this roster. I think the only way we're seeing substantial changes is if they finally pull the trigger on a Miles Turner deal and just decide that we're done with that DeMontis Sabonis, Miles Turner experiment. But even that feels unlikely. I think that we're, we're largely looking, as you said, at keeping this roster together as best as possible, hoping for more health because this was essentially a lost season with TJ Warren and with Turner for large portions of it. They didn't have a Levert for, for most of the year, uh, but you do have him now. So put all the pieces together and I think that you're only looking at moves around the periphery. Ideally, they're bringing back McConnell and Doug McDermott. And then, as you said, shipping Jeremy Lamb into cap space and trying to make some sort of veteran uh, cheap as possible addition. Someone like Patty Mills could make a ton of sense here as a flamethrower off the bench if he's willing to sign a discounted contract to play on an Eastern Conference contender. But I don't think you're looking let's, at... Uh, let's, let's slow the roll on Eastern Conference contender there, buddy. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying they're going to be. I'm saying if Mills is convinced they're going to be, that I could see him wanting to sign a discounted deal here because it makes a lot of sense where he's going to come in and be the unquestioned leader of the second unit. Yeah, I don't I, think this is an Eastern Conference contender yet, but the pieces are are in place to the point that it could be. Yeah, I think maybe what they you could see them doing is, and you kind of already mentioned, I don't know that Patty Mills would actually be cheaper than him, but if you have to get rid of McConnell and or McDermott, like what are the cheaper alternatives out there i probably thought a step lower where if george hill gets waived his non-guaranteed deal like however that works out whether philly trades him or doesn't guarantee his contract would he be willing to go back to indy um you know do they give a shot to someone like a an alec burks there um when you're looking at like the cheaper wings that's where it would get really tough for them just because we know that indiana isn't this dream destination uh do they take a look at a 
are they in the Tory Craig or the James Ennis realm? Abdel Nader, even just if you're not paying Doug McDermott and he's going elsewhere, maybe even Otto Porter, who I think they've been linked to in the past, and he kind of needs to find a spot where he knows he can rehabilitate his value. The Turner trade is interesting. I do think he's probably still the most likely player to be traded. Agreed. I think that took a hit, though, with the Pelicans getting Jonas Valanciunas, unless they plan to reroute him too. I just, when you think, yeah, I could think of plenty of destinations for Miles Turner. But I'm like down to Charlotte and Sacramento is the ones that I was gonna say Charlotte is the one that's really fun to me. The well, the one that I thought was fun is like sort of a framework of and there are two I think you could go either way with this, is flipping Miles Turner um for either Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes from Sacramento, both of whom I think would be fantastic fits. I think I'd prefer Barnes. He's the better player, even though Heald might he gives you more of that just you know, diverse shooting. I just, I'd probably want, if I'm giving up Miles Turner that deal, I'd want a little something more from Sacramento. And I don't know if, you know, if you could get number nine and Buddy Heald for Miles Turner, I don't know if that's an overpay. And I don't know if it's a wash to, you know, this is like a, it feels like, I don't know if it's a lateral trade, but like number 13 and Miles Turner for number nine and Buddy Heald, like that feels weird or number nine and Harrison Barnes. Like, is there some type of that genre of framework there? Um, I'm more intrigued by by Sacramento, though. Even though Charlotte, I just want to see fit. Turner stay in place. Oh, do you? I still like him here. I do. Yeah, uh, yeah. I want him out. I think he could be maximized somewhere else. And I, we've seen maybe we haven't seen enough of them at full strength. But the, the offensive ceiling on a Turner Pacers, uh, a Turner Sabonis front court to me, it's just not. You know, Caitlin Cooper's probably cringing if she if she hears this, or maybe her ears are probably burning. Uh, Cause she hates talking about like, and this dynamic has been just discussed ad nauseum too much at this point. Way I'm sort of just much. over it. I'm able to like shake it up at this point. And Sabonis is too important to your offensive flow structure to at least we're beyond like debating which one of them they should keep. The discourse has moved past that. I think. I haven't fully moved past that. I get for the Pacers why you wouldn't move Sabonis. I think it's this weird thing where I'd be curious to see how much yeah, Sabonis is the better player. I just need like the taboo buzzer sound right now. Just like, yeah. no, we're not doing this. Here's where I'm coming from is that Sabonis needs. The we're going to end up with like a four hour podcast now. No, here's the, the, I just, Sabonis needs the ball in his hands to be most impactful. And Turner does not. The fact that he's more scalable and gives you more defensive juice, I think makes him more widely intriguing for teams on the trade market than Sabonis, even though Sabonis is the better player. And I, I, maybe that is counterintuitive, but that's just how I feel. And that's too much nuance. After the, after the Indiana Pacers, though, we move on to the Miami Heat. You are they, nailing the alphabet on this podcast. I just want to put that out there. I'm impressed. So my first, I think the first thing we have to tackle with the Miami Heat, do you think that they are going to operate with cap space? I do. So I think they need to. They're going to decline the team options on Iggy, Lauren Dragic, renounce Victor Oladipo. They'll keep Robinson yep. and Nuns hold. Yep. yep. Do, who are they signing then? Because you have to sign somebody if you're doing They've it. They've got to go after Kyle Lowry. Because ultimately, this team's biggest shortcoming, and we could see it coming from a million miles away, was the lack of reliable point guard play. You know, Kendrick Nunn is not that guy. Drogic very clearly was on the decline. We saw it with the injuries, even during that NBA finals run where he wasn't as effective towards the end of the postseason and just was not able to regain that level of play, especially with how much responsibility was going to be heaped upon him. If he was truly healthy beyond that, like Tyler hero was 
a, a partially a bubble product at least you're not going to turn him into a true star and even if you do he's not going to be a facilitating point guard you have to make a play for Lowry if if it doesn't work I think you're looking at going after Lonzo Ball or something because that's the hole on this roster it's the very obvious hole I was trying to think of some way like could they split the difference but I just don't know who is like when you're looking at sort of the like get two mid-tier players or yeah okay decline Dragic's team option but bring him back at a more reasonable team number and then sure if you want to just doom yourself to like a second round exit no but i was saying so you bring back Dragic and then you go after like someone in the middle like a like a dinwiddie or something yeah i don't know and so like a dinwiddie and a Dragic, like what is that That totally sounds like a pat riley move right like when has he ever wanted to go after stars i just don't know aside i like it's kyle lowry it's kyle lowry or bust right yeah maybe mike conley but it's like Chris. Good luck Ball, prying him away from real... Utah. What's that? Good luck prying Conley away from Utah. Good they luck need to dump prying Chris salary. Paul away from Phoenix. I can't envision Utah paying a fifty million dollar tax bill, so I'm assuming they'll dump salary. Yeah, I, I think Conley and Paul are going back to their respective teams, so that puts you in a Lowry or bust situation. But what if you can't get Lowry? Is my point then? Is it better? Would you rather see them be like, all right, you know what? Let's just pick up these team options on Dragic and Iggy. They'd be good trade chips as the year goes on. Uh, yeah, we'll I bring think that's, back. That's the bust scenario. I'm just curious to see if maybe they'll try to split the difference. I just think it's harder because I think bringing back Dragic makes sense, but what is splitting the difference? Like who is the, who's that second, you know, householdish name free agent that you're bringing in? Does, does Josh Hart and Goran Dragic, like, does that move the needle or help you at all? Probably Hart, not. Hart doesn't give you a ton of shot creation, even though he'll probably help your, your defense. So they're in a, they're just in a bizarre spot. If they get Kyle Lowry. It feels Lowry, like, it feels like my Miami words, is but. a fascinating team to follow this offseason with a remarkably simple game plan that makes sense i guess you know what splitting the difference could look like Dragic and can you get norman powell that might be what's splitting the that difference. could be a fun one yeah i mean because then you get the off the ball juice the, the creation out of the pick and roll that we've seen powell exhibit in smaller doses how many times have we said juice on this podcast not enough Let's move on to, and Miami's, like you said, interesting. There just aren't a lot of scenarios. Let's just move on already. The Milwaukee Bucks nailing this alphabet. That is your team to start with. What they're, I'll, I'll set the table for you with this because I think they're an easy team to talk about. They're bargain bin hunting, and you have to wonder if P.J. Tucker and or Bobby Portis are coming back. They are basically, as it stands, without factoring in contracts for P.J. Tucker, for Bobby Portis, they are just in the tax next season they're just they're in the tax they're like you know four almost five million in the tax they did pay the tax this year because of drew holiday's bonus it was only like a million but you still started the repeater clock on those free agents they can pay pj tucker whatever up to his max which he's obviously not going to get because they have his bird rights bobby portis is a non-bird free agent so they're going to need his the mini mid level to sign him which is about 5.7 million dollars there are people that think he's going to get more than that what is going to go on with the Bucks this summer? Of the two that I just named, do you expect both to be back, one to be back, none of them to be back? And what are I the- expect Portis to be back because of how much the city of Milwaukee absolutely fell in love with him and how important he was during the postseason run. I expect Tucker to be back because of the bond that he created so quickly with Giannis. And it worked. Like, <laughs> that's, that's the big thing here. And there's even room for growth here because Dante DiVincenzo wasn't healthy for the primary portion of the playoff run. And Jordan Wara all of a sudden is thriving for Nigeria in the Olympics. What if he offers My you? My Budenholzer school of wings. 
What if he offers you some scoring juice? I think that this Milwaukee team is looking to run it back as much as possible and then make one or two cheap veteran signings with whoever wants to come play for a team that we can be 100% assured of title contention again. Is it Alec Burks? Is it Patty Mills? Regardless, I think that they want that person to be a scorer that they can use off the bench because if there was a shortcoming for this team it was inconsistent scoring with the second unit Bryn Forbes was a fun little flash in the pan that wasn't sustainable they need someone who they can count on to get points when Giannis isn't playing because that allows him to play fewer minutes during the regular season and during the less important playoff series yeah my guess would be maybe Burks won't be too expensive but my my guess I think Portis leaves and Tucker stays because I feel like with Giannis, Tucker's more likely to be cheaper. He's more likely to be cheaper, but also just when you're looking at the Bucks, the Giannis is the lone big minutes or primary big minutes have become so important. Um, I know that it, like PJ Tucker is arguably a little bit more integral if you're going to keep Brooke Lopez. The other thing that you could look at is if you wanted to make a bigger trade is pairing Brooke Lopez with Dante DiVincenzo. And the, I pitched this once. Do you do Brooke Lopez and Dante DiVincenzo for Harrison Barnes? You get more expensive. I don't. I just, I just, I still want DiVincenzo there. He makes too much sense when he's at full strength. But I, I otherwise think that you're going to be then trying to just plumb the the bargain bin. Yep. Um, if you use your taxpayers mid level on someone who's not Bobby Portis, I don't know. This is the name I was zero on. I don't know if it's going to be enough. Cameron Payne would be nice here, depending on if Phoenix wants to bring him back or not, or if Dragic becomes a free agent, is he willing to take a discount to play with? a contender otherwise i think you're looking at do you maybe are you okay bringing west matthews back on another cheap deal if he's willing to return even though he's with the lakers this year james ennis um they probably never should have gotten rid of tory craig in the first place those I still are- prefer to focus more on scoring even if those guys make sense so no, I-, I, I would i would still lean towards the offense first guys here no i'm i'm beyond the taxpayers mid-level is my point you're like once you use that on whatever you're, you know, Lou Williams in Milwaukee might be fun, by the it way. Is he want to sign there? for the? He seems to, like, it's Atlanta or retirement. For, Atlanta, LA or retirement. Maybe Langston Galloway. I'm just, that might fulfill your scoring need, and he can certainly sling it. So, uh, Austin Rivers might be one. That's someone that who could comes, be a really fun one. But there's, like, you know, Bryn Forbes didn't even mention. Do you think he's going to be back? My guess would probably I don't. be no. Right? I don't think yeah. so. They just, they have, I think, at least one of Portis, um, or Tucker is going to leave though. And that's going to put them, I'm just, they're going to be shallow again. And like you said, if Noir is just going to give you minutes next year and everything works out, they're going to be a fascinating team to watch because unless they really hit home runs with their mid level, uh, their mid levels, their, their minimums and just their, their bargain bin deals, they just might run into some fatigue issues or finite rotation issues. Yeah. Agreed. That brings us to the New York Knicks insert point guard here. Let's just move on. Look, the point guard should be Kyle Lowry is my dream acquisition for them. And then mostly run it back. Like keep Reggie Bullock is someone I think that's super important to them. Nerlens Noel, even the back of big Alec Burks there, gave them huge fourth quarter minutes. If you're not, my prediction for them. And so I think, first of all, I think you should be in on all the point guards, the actual point guards. Mike Conley, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, even if it's Goran Dragic on a one-year deal, whatever. And then when you can't sign any of them, you're bringing back Derek Rose and you're looking at Spencer Dinwiddie. Spencer Dinwiddie, I wouldn't mind there either, even with the shooting concerns. It would be a fun, I, I think he's a fun fit for this team because you want someone who's going to attack first and foremost. Where do you land on the Lonzo Ball discussion here though? I love the fit. I think it makes a lot of sense, especially with 
guys like RJ Barrett who are becoming more capable corner three-point shooters. You have Julius Randle as a bailout option and another primary initiator, so you don't necessarily need your point guard to be that number one option. I just don't think he's going to leave New Orleans, especially after the Valanciunas-Adams trade. I don't like Lonzo Ball in New York. I'm not going to lie. I think he forces you to get out and transition more, which they definitely needed. He spaces the floor, which is great. I think you also need to be signing some, like if you were getting Kyle Lowry and Lonzo Ball, which might be the dream scenario for New Orleans, actually, it makes so much more sense without that guy who can give you offense from the point of attack. I don't like Lonzo Ball in New York. And that's an awful lot to commit to a guy who can't give you that offense at the point of attack. Just someone who doesn't really shoot um, at get to the rim or shoot at the rim doesn't hit off the dribble jumpers at an efficient clip. Isn't you're going to run your half court offense. I would like to see them ideally for them. They're spending big money for two years. Those windfalls on those bigger name point guards um, outbidding everyone. I know. I think there are rumors that they plan to basically outbid multi-year offers for Kyle Lowry in one season. That's kind of tough because they can max him out and that he's probably going to get more than that over two years. But Kyle Lowry is my ideal get for them. If they can't get him or one of the other bigger point guards, I'd like to see them mostly run it back or focus again on preserving their powder. Maybe you take some guys into cap space. Like if maybe I don't know why you helped Dallas, but I actually like Josh Richardson in New York. I would be more inclined if I'm the Knicks, if you want to spend on a restricted free agent, should you miss on the Lowry, the Conley, the, the Chris Paul? I really do like Gary Trent Jr. there more than I like Lonzo Ball. I might even like Josh I like Hart. Him a lot of places though. I like him, but I'm saying relative to Lonzo Ball in New York, and the Knicks obviously have all this cap space. Right. Trade, tar- trade targets for them, they're clearly in the market for a star. I would be reticent about what you're giving up because I don't think you have the initial cornerstone in place. So if you're trading for Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or even Zach Levine, they're still very much on their own because this is it's sort of a prove-it season for Randall and even the team at large. I don't... I, they're justified if they want to make that move, but you probably need to do it in tandem with knowing someone else is coming in 2022 or you could land someone else. Otherwise, I'm using the cap space to, to suss out trades or maybe teams still want to get rid of contracts and they're giving you more assets. I'm more fascinated to see what they do with number 19, 21, and, and 32 really than I am with what they might do on the trade market. I think they'll be in. Don't get me wrong. If there are stars available, the one that I might be okay with, and I'm not sure if I talked to you about this, if the Raptors go into rebuild mode, there's obviously Fred Van Fleet, but I don't know if they move him. I don't hate Pascal Siakam in New York. It's a questionable fit alongside Randall, though, if only because they like to operate in the same space. Well, Randall's like taking off the dribble threes now, so it's a little bit different. And they both they still like to operate from the same spots of the these, court, though. These aren't really like post up guys, though. They want to operate more so from the point of attack, which to me is fine with the way that Randall shot threes. Maybe it's easier to play off Siakam. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be, if that's the... I'm going to be honest, I don't like that fit. I like it. I don't like it. I like it. I would test it out. That's all I'm saying. Well, you're the Knicks fan here, so I'll defer to you on this one. Uh, who is the, the last question on them? The single most important free agent of their own that you want to see them bring back? I think Rose makes a ton of sense to bring back. He was so good in the second half of the season. Again, like we elevated him near the top of our six man of the year conversation, just based on what he was able to do during the second half of the season. He was a smarter player. He was a more controlled player. And he really gave that offense a lot of juice. I'll use the word again, that it didn't have without him. He did give them a lot of jet fuel. I'm going to try and change it up with some synonyms there. 
I think it's still Reggie Bullock, just looking at the defensive workload he shouldered and his three-point volume was really important. And I also think that you can go out and give, even if you want it to be a one-year overpay or one plus one to someone like Cameron Payne, if you whiff on he's, everybody he's else. He's replaceable. But again, like he brought that oomph, that pizzazz, like, you know. There you go. Now we're talking. You just wanted to throw in two synonyms there. I like it. Uh, let's move on to the magic. We're thoroughly uninteresting as it pertains to free agency. They yeah. won't have cap space. They have the non-taxpayers mid-level exception. If you want to roll the dice on sort of uh, Garrison Matthews would be perfect there. Don't get me wrong. If you want to roll the dice on a youngster and you could get him fine, but you're not like, yeah, maybe an Isak Bonga. They like guys who can't shoot, but can defend uh, Talon Horton Tucker because they like guys who are shaky shooters and, and can't defend. I'm more interested in them on the trade market and only as, yeah, they should be in the second draft conversations for the, does Josh Jackson become available in Detroit or Kevin Knox in New York? Players Actually like is that. the perfect Orlando player because he's another big and they can recreate the log jam, like stuff like that. I think though, I'm more interested in them as sellers. And I think this is more of a mid-season thing to tackle, but will they move Terrence Ross? Will they? Well, cons- I think while we were recording, we had a notification come through about that. Did we? I didn't even see. But I forget what it was. I didn't even see that. I like very briefly saw something about Terrence Ross and then we just kept talking. Fun stuff. Um, I didn't see anything about Terrence Ross, so if that's outdated, I think that's someone you look at moving more midseason or they're going to be players or teams who are like, oh, we missed on Tim Hardaway Jr. Let's trade for Terrence Ross. The bigger question is, Bamba, Wendell Carter Jr. are both extension eligible. I don't expect either of them to get it. Do you consider moving one of them? Um, I am of the mind that they're both coming back from torn ACLs, so this is why I think it would be more of a trade deadline thing. I would definitely look at moving both Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz. Uh, per Ian Begley, uh, several teams have been in touch with the Orlando Magic on trades involving Terrence Ross. SNY has learned. The Memphis Grizzlies are one of them. Yeah, most likely. The but Knicks yeah, are apparently sure. another one. They need you. I mean, they need just my look, and that's fine to bring this back. Maybe we'll, we'll, we'll loop the Knicks and the magic together on this, or we might publish it as one big pod on YouTube, but that's what the Knicks should do is like, just get the guys on like Terrence Ross has two years left. If it's a Josh Richardson entering the final year, she opted into his player contract. Go over to the guys with two years left who bring you like, if the jazz want to get Boyan Bogdanovich out of Utah, just to clear their tax bill, the Knicks should be all over that. hundred percent. all over 100% that. agreed. But the magic, I think it's, they're just more interesting as sellers. I can't even come up with like trade act. Like they have needs, no. But like, who are you? Like, just get picks at this point. Exactly. I think that's the biggest thing they're going to acquire is draft picks. So I would look at, I think the spiciest take I have on them is, but it's not, I don't think it's an offseason thing, is I would look at moving Markel Fultz and Jonathan Isaac. I don't have a problem with their deals. I'm more okay with Isaacs than Fultz's, but you, they're good. They risk sort of tethering you to that sub middle of the East. And I just don't think you need that right now. The spiciest Orlando Magic take I have is, Let's move on to the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, how about RJ Hampton is going to be really good? Maybe that's not spicy, though. I don't think that's spicy. Would you trade for Gary Harris if you're a team? Does he have any no. value left? Not at $20.5 million. No. Let's move on to the Philadelphia 76ers. The answer here is the best player they can get for Ben Simmons. I, ultimately, it feels like they are feeling pressure to move him more immediately than they should. That's just kind of the feel that I get for reading the messaging that's put out by Adrian Wojnarowski and all the other primary newsbreakers in the NBA world. Should they move him now? Probably not because you can rehabilitate his value because he's a phenomenal regular season player. You're likely going to get more for him at the trade deadline than now, but it does seem like they're feeling a lot of pressure 
Maybe it's from Simmons's camp. Maybe it's just because they're tired of it just to, to ship him off. So I think that ultimately Philly's off season is entirely dependent on what they're going to get back from them. Maybe it's Pascal Siakam. Maybe it's, you know, insert player here, but they're going to move it. The two, the, a few things on the Ben Simmons trades. I do have, I sent them to you in the chat so you can actually process them in real time. You're not, I don't think the CJ McCollum deal happens. If you told me, are they going to trade him for CJ McCollum or is he still on the team at the start of the season? I'm choosing the latter because at this point, I don't know that you want to do anything to help the Blazers keep Dame. At the same time, if you're going to trade Simmons anyway, maybe you don't care. Um, this is a fun I, trade and I endorse it, just FYI. So where I, where I land on Simmons, this is the deal I came up with for the listeners. The Sixers get Desmond Bain, Kyle Lowry in a sign-and-trade, DeAnthony Melton, number 10, and Toronto's 2025 first. Now, the reason you get that is because they gave away their own 2025 first. You're getting a distant first from Toronto, and you're now unlocking the ability to trade basically a pick in any year. The Raptors receive Ben Simmons, and the Grizzlies get number four via Toronto. I think that's fair. If anything, Philly might be getting the shorter end of the stick here, but Simmons' value is at such a low and maybe you would just prefer Kyle Lowry and number four. I just like, what are Jalen Suggs or Evan Mobley going to do for you? It's just, it's not. And I think getting 10 Melton um, who can defend the point of attack and just shot over 40% from three, that's a deal I'd considered. I think they're going to have to get creative with Ben Simmons trades is my point. And I'll let you munch on the final one I have, like that's offbeat because we know all the other ones as I'm rambling here, but like, I just don't, the D'Angelo Russell Malik Beasley one from Minnesota, like that's kind of boring. The Knicks don't have enough win-now pieces to give you there. Um, Sacramento's been linked, but they're not going to give you Tyrese Halliburton and just something built around Buddy Heald or Harrison Barnes is thoroughly uninspiring. I think what they're going to have to do with the Simmons trade is they might have to warm up to the idea of we're probably taking some picks back and maybe we could trade those later for someone else because I don't think they're getting... The Lowry structure is interesting because you're getting an all-star who might leave anyway, so Toronto can justify being, hey, Lowry and number four for Simmons is not really that much of an opportunity cost for them if they like Simmons and they think Lowry's leaving anyway. I, I think that's totally fair. I'm, I'm on board with all that, but I'm also just like kind of tired of the Simmons discussion already. The last trade I have for them to wrap it up is it's still Kyle Lowry, Devin Vassell, Derek White, and number 12 and Toronto's 2025 pick to Philly. Toronto gets Ben Simmons and San Antonio gets George Hill number four and 46. San Antonio doesn't do trades, but I absolutely, I love this trade for them. And I love the idea of white Lowry, Seth Curry kind of in the perimeter it's a, rotation. It's a fun Sixers. one to demonstrate like where the value is going to lie. Cause I do think it's fair for all three sides, but it's probably not going to happen because as you mentioned, San Antonio doesn't do big trades. I'll, I'll rattle off some free agents that I think Philly can target just because the, I think there is a chance that they don't trade. Simmons, do you agree or do you expect him to be I, on I totally disagree. Just based oh, yes. on the tenor of the reports that are coming out, it just doesn't feel like that's going to happen. Well, then that's where it gets difficult because they're going to have the mini MLE. And I would say, like, you need to do what you can to be like, hey, can we bring Lou Williams back or can we bring back um, Alec Burks? Because those are players who help you. But you can we entice Cameron Payne at all or Dragic to come at a discount? But you might mm -hmm. not need them depending on what you get back in a Simmons trade, which is why it's so difficult. But as of right now, I think even if you trade Simmons, you probably still need another type of playmaker, regardless of if you're getting back a, a Kyle Lowry type. And then just guys who are going to open up the floor for you, like just these cheap, they're going to be, they're going to have to be cheap wings, but it's just like a, an Otto Porter or an Ariza. I think they need to bring back Danny Green, by the way, we didn't, we didn't mention him and they, they do need to diversify um, or 
just give themselves more versatility, let's say, in the backup big rotation behind Embiid. I don't think Dwight Howard is the way to go there. It'd be Daniel Tice would be great. He probably wants to play more minutes, even if he's willing to sign for that. So can you maybe look at a, I don't even know here, like just Harry Giles to get fun, even though he did, like probably doesn't project as the, the best sure, fit. Yeah. So, but if you only need it for, you know, 10 minutes a game or whatever, or do you try and go it's like, just, yeah, I would love to see Paul Millsap chase a ring in Philly though. That would be interesting. To that would be really fun. That would be really fun. We are up to Toronto, the Toronto Raptors. They're so they're tough. Let's I'll get this they're out of really the way tough. because are they going to have cap space? Is Kyle Lowry coming back? What I would like to see them do is keep Kyle Lowry and just run it back or see them. It go. just doesn't feel like that's going to happen though. It, it doesn't, but I'm not ruling it out just because I want it to happen, but it doesn't feel like it's going to happen. And if you don't have Lowry, you're operating with cap space. But if you're, if you don't have Lowry, are you going to consider rebuilding because you have the? I kind of think you're going to blow it up. I I have listed as my ideal realistic target for this team James Weissman, because I think that Lowry is gone, which means that you're blowing it up. And I love the Pascal Siakam to Golden State framework. I came up, yeah. I don't love it. I'm not going to lie. I don't like the Siakam Draymond fit on offense. You don't like Randall Siakam on offense, but you're all about Draymond and Siakam. Explain. Because Draymond doesn't need to play offense for that team. Okay. Randall does need to play offense for that New York team. That's, that's the difference in a nutshell. All right. Well, I, I still, I can't believe you hate one fit versus the other. That's all I'm saying. Like there should be a middle ground here on the Randall Siakam. There's no here. such thing as the middle ground. I've never sat on the fence in my life. I just, I don't. Anyone I, who has listened to this pod knows that I'm terrible at sitting on the fence, right? So <laughs> you think that the Raptors are more likely to blow it up then? I do. Which would entail, does that entail trading Van Fleet or just Siakam? I think just Siakam. Why? I think you can, because I think that the return is greater for Siakam uh, given the versatility that he's displayed and it, it, there's a, a general sense that there's more that you can get out of him. Van Fleet, while he's so good, it, it feels like he's just so, uh, an easier building block for Toronto to keep because you're probably not getting as much back in return. I I honestly don't know what to expect from him. I do think they could blow it up. I wouldn't be surprised if they traded both Van Fleet and Siakam at this point. It wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me. I wouldn't expect this, but it wouldn't shock me if they traded number four in a win-now play. We just mentioned the Simmons stuff. They've been linked to Simmons, and that'd probably be a 3 This could go any direction. Yeah. Literally any direction. I will say, if you want to do the in-between direction, Lowry leaves. Maybe you decide to work with cap space. I definitely think you need to look at like a Spencer Dinwiddie there to help you just because you're going to need another guy who can initiate from the point of attack. And that's like sort of the name I've circled. I know some people have mentioned Lonzo ball. I guess that makes sense with Brent Van Fleet and Pascal Siakam there. I like Spencer Dinwiddie, even though he's not a great shooter in Toronto a little bit more. Uh, but that's like the, again, I just, I can't even begin to think about free agents because I think it's so, I, I guess we could both agree that whatever they do is one way or another moored to Kyle Lowry's future, because if he doesn't come back, that's the impetus for a rebuild or tr- using cap space. If he does return, are you keeping the number four pick? Are you looking to make a win now trade? I'm looking to make a win now trade for sure. I could see, couldn't you see a Jalen Suggs coming in there and helping them right away then or no? Not with Lowry. Oh, no, I don't think so. I don't think he, uh, it's, it's so difficult for any guard to make an immediate impact, much less when you're playing behind those two. Moral of the story, resign Gary Trent Jr. Toronto. There you go. Washington though. 
another one where it's just baffling because we don't know what's going to happen with Bradley Beal. You know, he, he has not requested a trade, but it feels like he could at any point. If he doesn't, I think that you're looking at win now moves because this roster is, is sneaky good. Westbrook reinvigorated the organization during the second half of this past season. He looked like a decent fit alongside Beal. You can expect to get more from Denny Advia. You can expect to get more from Rui Hachimura. Daniel Gafford was a revelation. Alex Len played well. You're getting Thomas Bryant back from the torn ACL. Davis Bertans is still there. Garrison Matthews is still there. There's a lot of talent here. So it feels like you're just looking at veterans, shockingly, because this is a, a drastic turnaround from where this organization was this time last year. And I think you're looking at wings specifically. Will Barton. Yeah, I have Danny Green Will and Will Barton written down. Will Barton, Danny Green, Reggie Bullock, of course, just to like that three and D type. Josh Burks, you know, the same names we've been mentioning. Yeah. And so you, you have to be in play for them. I will say you are obligated to look at win now moves if Bradley Beal doesn't request a trade, though, because, and they, look, they can do some interesting stuff between this year's lottery pick. Um, I don't know why I'm blanking where they are right now. They're, or they're not lottery, they're number 15, excuse me. So it's like a fringe lottery pick. Number 15, Rui Hachimura, Denny Avia, and then future picks because their future is so uncertain. Um, I here's one I thought about because I think you have enough offense in Bradley beyond Russell Westbrook. They might be a team that could get in on the Pascal Siakam sweepstakes because you have Daniel Gafford, Avdia, Hachimura, and Picks. Does that get you somewhere? You have Davis Bertans as matching salary, although Bertans around the Siakam Westbrook pairing that might be super critical. Are you willing to pay all four of those guys? I don't know, but there are workable. There actually probably aren't workable ways to get Siakam without giving up Bertans, so never mind. But you have a ready-made salary-matching salary tool in there. I also thought about Miles Turner. Unless you don't think he's enough of an upgrade over Gafford, I would argue he is defensively. I'm going to take the opposite stance. I think that Gafford showed enough in the brief run last year that I don't want to move him. He was an energetic two-way force for this team, and he only turns 23 in October. I, I I wouldn't say he's untouchable because if you're getting a star or a Siakam level player, you're probably going to be willing to move him. But I would be really hesitant to give him up. Yeah, there. The other name I thought about, I disagree with you firmly there, but I wouldn't give up a ton of value for him. But it's also they're going to run into this issue with Siakam or Turner. I thought about Harrison Barnes too, but. They just don't have the, you're not trading Beal or Westbrook in that scenario. And then Dallas Bertans makes 16 million. It's so like, that's not, that's, I guess that's middle rung salary. But if Sacramento wants to rebuild, why do they want Dallas Bertans? Maybe Indy would want Dallas Bertans, but why not just pay Doug McDermott? At that point, you can, you can step ladder it. It's going to take Thomas Bryant, Chandler Hutchinson, and then I, it's, it's going to take a Denny or a Rui. But like, you can get there to Harrison Barnes without giving up a Dallas Bertans. Maybe you don't want to do that though. That's where they're going to run into some issues, but they are, I think they're sneakily built to pull. If they're willing to give up Davis Bertans, dangle their youngsters and future picks. I think they are sneaky candidates to pull off a blockbuster type trade. So here's my hot take on Daniel Gafford. And I'm looking at the crystal basketball rankings from NBA math. And this will be a slight spoiler in case anybody is following those so closely that they don't want that. But going into the 2020, 21 season, he had a 2.93 grade from our panel, which tied him with Rodney Magruder for 315th in the league. This season, or coming out of the season, he has elevated to a 4.31, which puts him in 184th overall. I bet he's in the top 100 at the end of this coming season. 
here's my thing. You're just saying that you'd rather have him over Miles Turner. I would rather no. I I don't think if it was a one for one swap, sure. But you're going to be giving up other pieces to get Turner as well. Like if if, Indi- if Indiana calls and is like, hey, we love Gafford, we'll give you Miles Turner for him. Then hell yeah, you're doing that. That's they, not what's going to happen here. Washington doesn't have the flexibility to do that. Yeah, and that that's where they run into the issue of it almost has to be a really big deal. Yeah, or or it can't. Do you think? And this is where we should wrap this up. Is Bradley be on the Wizards to start the season? Yep. I'm going to say no. I like how I just, much we're disagreeing in this episode. It's good. I, I just feel like the reporting of him all of a sudden weighing his future and the telltale one for me is the Russell Westbrook stuff. You're not, unless Bradley Beal said, yeah, I'll, I'll do the rebuild with you. Russell Westbrook's name's not getting out there unless that you think Bradley Beal is not going to be there because then that's when Russell Westbrook becomes eminently, eminently available. Otherwise, mm. you need him to optimize this window with Bradley Beal. I'm still going to say no. I just, I, 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 okay, is, feeling. is Bradley Beal on the Wizards at the end of next season? No. <laughs> so this is, but if you're going to move him at the deadline, why wait then? Like, because, now. because you consistently made the all in moves and you need to see how it's going to play out from the start of a season first. There's still enough young talent on this roster that Washington can very easily convince itself to see what it has. If it gets off to a hot start, it becomes a buyer at the deadline. If it doesn't work out, if you're only a mid-level playoff team in the, in the Eastern Conference, then you're moving it. So who is the most likely star to get traded in your book then this summer? Hmm. I, I mean, I, I think Simmons is gone just based on how I'm reading the reporting around that situation. So I think that's my answer. Other than that, like, I don't think Lowry's back. So it's probably Siakam is my number two. Well, yeah, I don't know if Lowry's going to get traded just because he's a free agent, but yeah, it'd be funny if Simmons and Beal were traded for each other. It would be. This was great. I hope everyone enjoyed it. We enjoyed it as well. Hopefully it's not outdated by the time you listen to this. As always, please, 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 please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. iTunes specifically helps us out a ton. Head over there, throw us that five-star rating, write a review. Find us on YouTube, search YouTube, or go to YouTube, search Hardwood Knox, subscribe to our channel, like our videos, and we can be found on Twitter at Hardwood Knox and IG at Hardwood underscore Knox. There are IG and YouTube exclusives that will go up as we see fit. Until next time, and as always, we will shout out to the one the only future Chicago Bulls savior, apparently, Frank Nielakina. <laughs>